If you have a Bible, please open it to the 15th chapter of Romans. Last semester, um, I attempted to give some, some help along the topic of biblical planning. A lot of Christians can get a little neurotic about this notion of, oh, I've got to find the bullseye of God's will, and if I don't hit it, Oh man, my life's going to be a terrible mess. I'm not exactly sure where that notion came from. Um, I would rather we talk in terms of just walking with God day by day and making wise choices and having a general idea for where He may be taking us based on certain factors. And I think that the Apostle Paul did that. And so I would like simply to share with you what I think... Uh, went through his mind, whether he was actually making a sermon for our purposes is doubtful, but this seems to to bear up. In the 15th chapter of Romans, uh, the Apostle Paul is explaining to the church in Rome, a church which he had yet to visit at that point, how it is that he was planning to come to see them. What was he weighing in? What were the factors? And And I think it probably wouldn't be a bad idea if we were to consider those things ourselves. In the 14th verse of Romans 15, this is review, by the way, he he talks about, I am convinced that you are full of goodness, and so forth and so forth. I've, I've written to you very boldly on some points to remind you again, because of the grace that was given to me from God, to be a minister. This is what he's doing. I'm a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in uh, the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Point one. What are you doing now? A lot of times I think, we, okay, God, what do you want for me to do? How do you want me to serve you? Where do you want me to go? And I'm like stuck. Paul's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm in the game. I'm doing it now. And I really think that's, that's critical. Sometimes perhaps we say, Lord, why don't you reveal to me what you want from me so I can decide if I want to do what I think you want me to do. What this seems to be saying is, no, you get in the game and move, kind of like a car, easier to turn when it's moving, you know, uh, and he will direct and we will yield to that. Now, remember from the other day, I said, none of this really matters if we're in two minds. If we're in two minds, this doesn't apply very well. Um, This assumes that the individual Christian is saying, yes, God, I'm, I'm going to do what you lay out for me to do. By your grace, I'm going to do it. I, I'm single-minded in my focus. That's the assumption here. So where am I now? Honestly identifying my spiritual position right now. Do I know him? Am I serving him? Am I walking with him? Then I'm in a position to be led, if you will, by him along the way of the big picture. Now, Paul goes on in 15 to say, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, 
that I might not build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. He pulls in a Bible verse. Question number two in my planning sequence. What does the Bible say about this? Is there a passage of Scripture that speaks directly to this thing I have in mind to do? Is there a principle of Scripture that would endorse what it is I'm here to do? Or am I just going to go, go just dink around and do something? Does God just want me to go out there and have fun? Please show me the verse, because if you find it, I want to use it. What does the Bible say about my plan? And that brings us to question three. Question three is this. What are current conditions? If I were, if I go back in Romans, just Romans 1, he mentions this and then continues the thought in 15. Romans 1.13 says that I don't want you to be unaware, you Christians in Rome, that often I have planned to come to you, had this in mind for a while, and have been prevented thus far. Circumstances didn't allow then for me to come. Later, he'll write to the Thessalonians and say, the devil was involved in changing my plan. That's a tough one to guess, unless, of course, you're the Apostle Paul. But here in um, Romans 15, verse 22, he says, For this reason, reasons that I've been busy, circumstances have been such, for this reason I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now, he says in 23, with no further place for me in these regions, I'll stop there, lest I overlap into question four, my circumstances now are favorable. When my boys were little, we used to read them a, a fun book. And I looked for it. I said, Mary, Mary, do we still have that? I know I didn't throw it out. I know I didn't throw it out. I couldn't find it. I'd have brought it. We'd have a little object lesson. I'd walk up and down the aisles and show you this book and read it to you. It's called I Look Out My Window. How many of you have that book? Are familiar with that book? I Look Out My Window. And the little kid gets, it's this little kid gets up in the morning and he stands on his bed and he looks out his window and he says, I see that it's sunny outside. I shall wear my summer clothes. Then I look out my window. I see that it's snowing outside. I shall wear my snowsuit. Getting it? (laughs) Okay. Um, Now we just get online. Check the weather that way. But I dress appropriate to the circumstances. I plan according to the circumstances, I think, I think this is huge. I really do. And I think that we ignore this particular piece at our peril. Now, in my opinion, and since I'm the chapel speaker, I'm the one whose opinion matters for the time being, it seems to me, brothers and sisters, that there are two basic conditions that you and I need to consider when we're trying to learn our circumstances, our current conditions. They are simple. They are closed doors and open doors. Easy to remember. Closed doors. I met a guy one time, 
determined to be, he, he told me this, he said, in my younger years, I was going to be a missionary to the Muslims. Somewhere along the line, in an industrial accident, he uh, lost, completely lost, his right hand. Well, that pretty much closes the door to ministry to Muslims. That is, if you want to be effective among them. That is a closed door. I had this, got a phone call this morning from a friend of mine who uh, was actually a secretary years ago, Artie. And uh, Artie and Al were in our church, and she called to tell me that Al is now with the Lord. Which wasn't fun news to hear, but I'll tell you what, Al was a fun guy to know. And um, he's, he had these incredible stories of his adventures and his misadventures. Uh, growing up as a logger and back in, the, back in the day, in the old days and so forth, and how it was that... They need, if they saw elk and it just happened to be July, they had a way of eating elk that night. They, he said, oh yeah, we just, we just left a spot on top of the log truck, <laughs> put the elk up there and just drove it home. Al had a heart attack once, more than once. He had a bad heart. He, he went 12 years after this particular event and finally he's, he's, he died, but <clears throat> he fell over it in, in his garage working on his boat and his drunken neighbor who had who had no CPR training but saw it on TV or something Al hits the deck and this guy's hollering at him and cussing at him and pumping on him and Artie calls 911 and and the QRU shows up and they hit him with the paddles they hit Al with the paddles and he does this thing you know and and they get him to the hospital and obviously he lived only to find out later that of the 19 times QRU in that particular district had done this, he's the only one who'd ever lived through it. See. But, but that's not the deal. Al, back in the 60s, he was a logger. And he was logging, and in the summertime, he would take Artie and his four kids, and they'd live in a logging camp off in the woods. Back in those days, <clears throat> Al was a drunk. And... Um, he talked about it. He was one of the founders of the first AA in, in the Bitterroot Valley, so he eventually, things changed for him. In any event, he said, this one night, he said, after work, they had one car. Artie is living with the kids in the woods. Not too many women think that's fun long term, Artie being among them. So Al's coming home late at night. For those of you who remember Highway 200 between Missoula and Great Falls, and you start up the Blackfoot curves, yeah, Tia knows. Used to be they were a lot worse. They've kind of straightened some of them out, but they were just awful. Well, you know, Al's had, I don't know what his blood alcohol level might have been, but it wasn't good. He's going up the curves. He failed to navigate a corner, and he finds himself sitting in the Blackfoot River in his car. Well, he had the presence of mind to roll down the window and climb out, got himself on the hood, and he said, I'm sitting there on the hood, and there's the Blackfoot River going by all the way around me. Somebody had seen him leave the road. And so they called, and they got a tow, and they finally got Al's car out of the, Al and Artie's car out of the river, set it someplace to drip dry. He still hadn't gotten home yet, so finally he rolls in in the wee hours of the morning. Where you been? 
Artie wants to know. He told her. And uh, she said, where's the car? He told her. She said, how am I supposed to get to town? He didn't have an answer. Well, this was a tense moment in their marriage. And Al, it was like 5 a.m. or something, and Al said, uh, I'm, I'm just so beat. He says, I'm going to go to bed. He says, I think I'll stay home today. <laughs> Artie got in his face, and she said, you don't want to stay home today. <laughs> that is a closed door. <laughs> you don't want to stay home today. That, that, one, that one is self-evident. So that's one. Closed doors. Open doors. Those are the other ones. Open doors. And, and I, in my view, you, you've got to have open doors before moving in any particular direction. Kicking on them... Um, is not a good idea. Forcing something to happen, I encourage you, please resist that temptation. And that could, come, that could come in a school issue, it could come in a job issue, it could come in a relationship issue, it can come in lots of different forms. Just try not to force doors open. Nonetheless, they got to be open. you got to have an open door to go through it. An opportunity, circumstances of God to fall out favorably so that you can do what God has laid out before you to do. So at, at this level, <clears throat> we need to be brutal in, in pursuit of, of three. This is where we really got to stop. We have choices. I really hope that you go on into your lives and, and that you have a series of good choices to make. This job or, or this job. This situation or this situation. That's, that's the best. But even so, these three items, I think, are critical. One is we, we've got to beg God for discernment. And maybe that's a bit subjective sometimes. Maybe, maybe <clears throat> we need to beg God and for this Christian decision-making wisdom in the narrow sense of the word. Oh, God, what do you want me to do? I, I desperately need your discernment at this level. I need peace from you. I think that's fair to ask. I, I need a, a sense of settled assurance that this is the course you want me to take, if indeed this is the door that you want me to go through. The second thing beyond discernment we need is, is accountability. And I think that... People who aren't necessarily going to tell us what we want to hear. As a matter of fact, presenting someone who knows us well, who's mature enough to be honest with us and saying, I've got these choices, or this seems to be available to me. Again, whether it's a job or a person, what do you really think? Ask the question of someone who genuinely loves you and will be honest with you, and someone who will not say, well, sweetie, just follow your heart. Is it Proverbs 26, 28 or 28, 26? I never can remember this. That is the, it is the fool who trusts in his own heart. 26, 28, one of those. It is the fool who trusts in his own heart. Oh, no, no, don't do that. Find someone or someones. You know, parents can be real handy at times like this if, if that's a, an available resource to you. Teachers, I think, I think those of us here are pretty good at being honest, except Scott. But 
No, he can too. But really, I think, I think that's, that's important. Discernment, accountability, and then third, for ourselves, honesty. What's that Psalm 139 verse that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. God, is this about you or is this about me most of all? What a tough one sometimes. Because our hearts can't be trusted. We have to ask God for that. God, just make me be brutal. And again, these these work together. Maybe there's a friend, a loved one, who can help you and me be brutal. But what is my true motivation? And that's, that's critical. That's if we have, as we present, are presented with, with these doors. Now, sometimes a closed door is a good thing. As a matter of fact, I would think that if we really believe in the sovereignty of God, that we should train ourselves always to think of a closed door as a good thing. It might be a stepping stone. It might be a life lesson. Sometimes closed doors are the result of foolishness or problems that we have brought on ourselves. And so the door closes. So maybe that closed door is designed to help me realize, oh my, this is what it looks like when I proceed on my own. This is what it looks like when I'm in the driver's seat. You know, there was a book written a number of years ago called God is My Co-Pilot. Catchy title. Poor theology. No, no, you, you, you don't want God as your co-pilot. You don't even want God as your pilot and you be the co-pilot. Now, I'm not an airplane pilot, but I've driven a car a few times, and I think that a better analogy is this. I don't want to sit in the front seat with God, let him drive. I don't want to sit in the back seat and tell him how to drive. What I want to do is get out of the car, hand him the keys, get in the trunk, slam the lid, let him drive. <laughs> That's what we want to do. Sometimes I'm, I, can, I can mess that up. You may be told, some of you, uh, that for a particular opportunity, you're too young. That's okay. That's okay. That's fixable. That's <laughs> something that can be overcome with time. And I tell pastoral students, you know, if you're not in the pastoral role, in a senior role, or the, the only pastor in, in the church by the time you're 30 or something, that's okay. Get a job. Punch a time clock. Save some money. Find a good wife. If you don't already have one, I mean, don't find another one. <laughs> Learn some things about life so that when that door does open, that the, the youth card can't be played. Sometimes there's just too much debt. And I advise churches, which I was just uh, in Glendive, where now they have poison water. Calvin, Glendive. Just in Glendive talking to churches. And what we, we recommend now when churches are looking for pastors, and this is so true of mission agencies, if you're interested in vocational missions, they, I say you've got to do a credit check. You've got to do a credit check on just about anybody. You do not want someone dragging huge debt into the ministry. I don't know how much other churches pay, but I know most churches in my familiarity, you aren't going to dig yourself out of debt um, on their salary. That's why we play the lottery. I'm just kidding. Um, that's how that goes. If you have too much debt, and I think that um, Montana Bible College has a very commendable policy. We do everything we can do to help you stay out of debt. 
And um, we do our school that way. We want you to do your life that way. And you will find that there are more open doors, good open doors, good choices, if you have less debt or no debt at all. That's, that's a noble aspiration. Sometimes we just have personal issues that need fixing, too. Sometimes time can fix that. Help can fix that. But closed doors aren't always bad. Open doors aren't always good. This is why we have to be brutal with things like discernment, accountability, and honesty, because an open door isn't necessarily a good door. I can't tell you how many wives and moms it seems to go this way. I have sat with in a pastoral setting who have said, I knew I shouldn't have married him, but we had already sent the invitation. I knew my folks were right. I knew a marriage proposal or opportunity is not necessarily a legitimate open door, a good open door. Not necessarily. Wow, this is the only shot I'm going to get. What? So, what, God fall asleep on you or something? God's best is best. And um, careful on that one. A marriage proposal, an open door could be a trap door. Scholarship, job offer for the big bucks. Really, are you ready for the big bucks? Can you handle wealth? On a case of a scholarship, is it a bait and switch? More than one student is going, oh, I'll give you $15,000, come to our school, and you're there for a semester, two or three, and that scholarship went away, and you still owe the money. Is that really a good open door? And I hear this one quite a bit. Well, it was on sale. <laughs> I think this is, this is so good. I saved 40%. Guess what? I know how you can save 100%. Don't buy it. Is the sale price an open door? Is a reducing? Just be, again, discernment, accountability, and honesty. Um, let me wrap this up. With regard to circumstances, two helpful steps in evaluating them. Um, Have I finished well where I am now? Uh, Have I finished well where I am now? Is, Is there anything still undone? Because you will go through life and have, there may be a time to move on. There may be a time to make a change. And, and I, in, in my Pursuits. I've counseled lots of pastors who say, Oh, I don't think I can take this church any further. I don't know where the heck you're taking it um, or what that's all about. I think maybe I need to move on. And and here's the question, and I don't care if you're a pastor or, or who or what you do. When it comes time to make a decision, when it comes time to make a move or make a change or go through what looks like a good open door, here's the question that I think is the the best one that I've asked of myself, myself, and I've encouraged many others to ask, and that is this. Am I going towards something or away from something? Am I going towards something or am I just just trying to get away? I think that's excellent. Sometimes we need to get away, and that's it. That's okay. But if the choice is a good one, it should be something I'm moving toward rather than just giving myself an excuse 
to change my scenery? Am I moving towards something or away from something? And also, this is a little bit academic, but more than once in my life, I've made the old pro-con list. Have you done that? Here's the decision. And just writing it out on a sheet of paper that says, okay, here are the, as I see it, the advantages to doing this, and here are the disadvantages. Some people's brains work that way, and you just do the math. Okay, there's three to four or something like that. This is what I'm going to do. But nonetheless, it can, it can be very helpful when we're considering our circumstances and whether or not it's time to, to move. What are the pros? What are the cons? Can I face these squarely and honestly? If I ask the question and I want advice, am I, am I ready for the answer? The, the reassuring thing in all of this is that you're, you're a Christian, you're part of the body of Christ. He is interested in, he is invested in building his kingdom. He's going to use you to do it as long as you and I have our feet planted firmly in him and we're not dealing with the double-minded thing. As long as we're seeking to move his direction, he will take it from there. For our part, we simply need to be wise, discerning, honest, and obedient. And watch, then, what God will do for his own sake. All right. Hey, you know what? Anybody got a question? We have one minute, maybe two. Kyle Lockhart, you just scratching your head? Okay. Is everyone under such deep conviction that this is just... Not the time for questions. That's fine. I'll pray then. And happy to visit with any of this stuff. I'm sure any of us here would be glad to speak with you about choices that you're maybe facing. Let's bow. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters um, as they are in a transitional mode here at Bible College. As there will be choices to be made. They'll come in different ways. I pray that each one would, first of all, be firmly trusting Christ and committed to doing what it is you reveal. And beyond that, Father, for honesty, for humility, for wisdom, discernment, accountability, all these things that you have for us to keep us safeguarded and to use us the way you've wired us to be used. God, help us. We are so lost without you, so desperate for you, Help us, Father, to orient our lives so that we truly are about you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.